welcome to episode 9 of Sequel Pitch, in which we pitch sequels to movies that don't have them. I am your host for this week, Ross, hello. With me, as ever, is the man with more strikeouts in this podcast than Merrill. It's Andy Henry. What up? And this man has more deaths on his conscience than Ray Reddy. It's Matt Rushton. What? (laughs) (laughs) It just made me laugh, so go with it. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, his lungs are never closed. It's Drew Toynbee. <laughs> well, apart apart from all of the like heavily asthmatic wheezing that I do down my mic at our at our very patient listeners. I was trying to think of a asthmatic joke, but then I was like, no, that will alienate the asthmatics in the audience, so <laughs> I won't do that. I'll just make fun of Matt being a murderer. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, well, we don't mind alienating all the murderers. This is true. <laughs> Today we are going to be discussing the 2002 M. Night Shyamalan thriller Signs. Before we get into it, we do a thing called 60 Second Synopsis, and my time starts now. In Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Colleen Hess dies a horrific death in a traffic accident. After the accident, her minister husband, Graham, denounces his faith and his vocation to work full-time on his farm. His brother Merrill, a former minor league baseball player known more for his batting brawn than his finesse, moves into the farmhouse to help Graham look after his two adolescent children, asthmatic son Morgan and daughter Bo, who has a finickety taste for water. Six months after the accident, crop circles appear in Graham's Caulfield. They initially speculate that the tr- local troublemaking youths could be the culprits, but they learn that theirs is only one of a number of crop circles made simultaneously around the world. In addition, animals have been acting erratically. Morgan and Bo seem to have a better sense of what is happening than the adults. Based on the evidence, the family slows, slowly begins to believe that the crop circles are one of many signs being sent by extraterrestrials. Not knowing whether the extraterrestrials are friendly or not, the Hesses take extreme precautions to protect themselves. Graham also begins to believe that nothing that happens is by chance and that everything has a reason. Oh, there you go. That's my mumbled way of going through the 60-second synopsis. So, boys, what did we think of this movie? Let's go with Matt. I enjoyed watching it as an adult and remembering how much it terrified me as a 12-year-old. I enjoyed the tension that they create using music and some very good acting at times I was like is this ham or is this really good acting and then it turns out it is really good acting it has got a very weird mixture of that hasn't it it's got a weird mixture of really weird hammy dialogue but then also mixed with actually some really good acting like I'll just point one scene out is when Merrill goes to the army recruitment thing and the army man has the weirdest way of speaking and dialogue. He goes, ah, check things out. He's real good. Like, (laughs) holy moly, you're that guy that batted out. He's like, he he feels like a 1950s like actor. Like, yeah. So uh, I know what you mean in that respect. There is some hammy dialogue. But some incredible, the basement scene with Mal Gibson and his son 
is in, like yeah. amazing acting. Like I must admit, I'm not one of Gibson's biggest fans in terms of some of his performances, and I wasn't for a long yeah. time in this. And then the kitchen, uh, the kitchen, the dinner scene where they're eating, and yeah. <laughs> as you message Ross, if you ever try crying and eating. Like, it's quite a performance, yeah. and then the the scene in the basement was yeah. really emotive. Actually, I was I was hooked then. What about you, Drew? You um you went through peaks and troughs in this movie, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I I'm really not very good with scary films, and so when this came out, I was how old would I have been? Twelve or thirteen, and so I will have inevitably seen it at some point around that age because everyone would have been like, oh yeah, let's watch a scary film. And I clearly did not engage with it because I found it scary. Coming to it now, that definitely coloured how I was expecting to find it. And at the beginning, I found it so stilted and so slow. I really, really struggled with the performances and the delivery. It builds tension very effectively. And it is still a... For a film that has no gore, really... Mm. and only has the aliens on screen for what probably amounts to two minutes. It's really effective. The The first shot of the aliens stood on the roof of the barn in the dark looking over the house and the leg in the cornfield. It's I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that right now, but I still had problems with the performances and it feeling so stilted, but ultimately it all comes together when, as they reveal more about what happened to... Colleen, Mel Gibson's wife, and you realise they're all completely emotionally shattered and repressed and they're not connecting with each other in any meaningful way. Like they they're barely sad when when the the ten year old boy stat has to stab the dog to <laughs> death to save his sister at the beginning. Like yeah. they're they're all so emotionally shattered. And just like Matt said, you get to the you get to the dinner table scene where they all break down and his son tells him he hates him and Mel Gibson's eating a burger and crying and then they're all crying and hugging. And that was when it clicked for me and I was like, oh, no, it it they it was entirely intentional and it made you feel off kilter and I have a lot of respect for this film. So overall, it's, it's, it is an incredibly well-made film, but I had my own issues to overcome. What about you, Andy? What did, do you agree with the sentiments of everyone? Or? I'm agreeing with Drew. Um, a lot of good bits, a couple of bits that I have problems with. I think some of the emotional shattered acting can come across quite wooden at times. But overall, yeah, it's like the, the, the really good bits, like obviously him crying or um, helping his son breathe at the end is, is good. Um, Matt mentioned the music and stuff, and yeah, the music's great, but the times where there, where there purposely isn't music. Yeah, so I have a soft spot for this movie. A lot of, when, we, when I initially picked it, I picked it because this was one of the first movies, weirdly, that I bought on DVD, and I had a surround sound, <laughs> and it was amazing listening to it because it had DTS, and you could um, hear all the aliens, especially, you know, when just after they've eaten and they're waiting in the hallway and you can mm. hear the uh, the dog barking outside and you can hear the aliens. And um, you could hear all that on, on the DTS, which was really cool. And I was like, wow, that adds so much more to it, um, which I that's why I like it. I I agree in terms of like there is a like a there is is a fine line of wooden acting and a little bit of weird dialogue. 
I think the soundtrack is amazing. It's Thomas uh, Newman, um, James Newton Howard, sorry, did an amazing job uh, doing the soundtrack. I really thought that worked. And I also liked the fact that they didn't, they didn't always do jump scares. Like you know, the, the bit when he sees the foot is just met by the wind and the silence that was, that was of the wind. Yeah. Like you don't hear any like music to that, um, which I really like. And I also like the fact, and I I think it leans towards how M. Night Shyamalan, he didn't really want to use CGI, but he, he eventually had to. But I think that lends itself well in not seeing the aliens as much. Um, yeah. oh, not yeah. seeing the aliens much like from really close or you see them in reflections or from a from a camera do you know what i mean yeah. um maybe it's because he wanted to save money or maybe he just thought it would have been less scary or something but well, the monster's always scary if you don't see it yeah, yeah so. and um and did you know that uh it wasn't supposed to be mel gibson initially m night Shyamalan wanted either clint eastwood or paul newman that would have been interesting with clint that yeah. would have been very cool yeah, that would have been really cool. But I thought the casting of Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix was fantastic. Like, yeah, agreed, visuals, agreed. Like, actually, I start believing they're brothers at one point. <laughs> also, Joaquin Phoenix was brought in after the casting had happened. So, did you know? This is another. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Mark mm-hmm. Ruffalo was originally playing uh, Merrill. But shortly before the movie went into production, he dreamed he contracted a brain tumour during the shoot. The next day, he went to the doctor and found he really did have a brain tumour, forcing him to drop out of the film and being replaced by Phoenix. Uh, the f- the tumour pr- uh, proved to be benign. and uh, But yeah, that's, that's mental, isn't it? He had a dream yeah. that he had a brain tumour, went and found out that he actually did have a brain tumour. Getting ready to do a film. All about looking for the signs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it works as well. Like I think I think they replaced him with someone even, like just as good, if not better. Yeah. Okay, let's go to scoring because we could talk about this review for a long time. We we yeah. liked it. I think mm-hmm. so. Let's go with Drew first. What would you give it out of five? I'm gonna give it four out of five. Um, Whoa! Four four bloody barbecue bought. Borks? Four <laughs> bloody barbecue borks out of five. <laughs> Four bloody barbecue borks. Dude, that's a tongue twister. Do that in the mornings. <laughs> Four barbecue borks. Oh, barbecue. Uh, cool. And the reason why? Just why would didn't it get five? It's... Uh, there. Are, I, I'm a big stickler for plot holes and the one that always stuck out to me of the these aliens, like they breathe oxygen, they are... They are presumably there for carbon-based life forms, but they contact with water burns their skin, and yeah, they have massive. come to a planet which is seventy percent water, <laughs> um, and where it rains. And like, yeah, maybe they haven't been able to do that much research, but these this is also a spacefaring civilization that can't just run scans they have to come down and do little (laughs) reckies. So I I have logical issues with the film, but as as a piece of filmmaking, it's very, very, very good. Nice. Okay, Matt, what would you give it out of five? I'm going to give it three and your pinky, three and a half uh, chopped limbs, chopped fingers (laughs) out of five. (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a good film. It was a good trip down memory lane. I'm not going to score it as high as uh, Willy Wonka or Game Night. 
I don't think it's that good a film for me. But yeah, a good film to watch again. Nice. Okay, and Andy? I'm going to give it 3.25 scary legs hanging out of bushes. Um, (laughs) I I have a lot of similar problems as Drew has. And I mean, the water thing, yeah, is, is is a big kind of massive plot hole. And thinking about it now, like the water hits the alien and then the family take Morgan outside who's currently having breathing problems. He's fine. And then we pan back to the house and then we pan out of the house and it's winter. And we learn Mel Gibson is a reverend again. But we don't really get any other conclusion of anything else. You don't need to know about what they do with the alien. They just sweep it up, put it in the dustbin and move, <laughs> put it out for the trash in yeah. the morning. And it's- then that's it. The film. Yeah, he's still like, in the I house. Think, we don't even know if that alien's dead or not. I well, I think well. I think it's. I mean, the water poured over his face. But and yeah. it, I think you see it stop breathing as well. But it's yeah. like yeah. But the the film is about it's about Mel Gibson refinding his faith. Mm. It's it's not it's not about the alien invasion. It yeah, could be. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. Actually, I forgot. I'll push it up to three point five. Go on, I'll give it that. Oh, <laughs> oh, that. It's a very good film about a man losing faith and getting it back. <laughs> right. And that is kind of plot holes aside, that but that bit's done very well. Drew works for M. Night Shyamalan, that's what he's <laughs> not saying. Um, <laughs> so I have a soft spot for it. Um, I like this film, even though it's got a little bit of hammy dialogue. Um, I love the soundtrack. So therefore, I'm going to give it four Ray Reddy's sleeping on the wheel and smashing into Mel Gibson's <laughs> wife's out of oh, no. fives. Is that wait, is that four wives or is that four cars going into one wife? No, it's uh, four we rays. Can, we can, it's we four rays all on the steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go over to my resident scorekeeper, Drew, because he's clever at maths and I'm not. Slash I have the, the Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so me and you gave it four. Um, and Matt, Andy you... and Matt were both 3.5. Yeah. Um, so coming out at 3.75, which is our third highest rated movie thus far. Oh. Um, coming in behind our joint firsts of Willy Wonka and Game Night. There you go. So it is a recommend. Is it a rec- it's a recommendation then, isn't it? Definitely. It's... Yeah. So yeah, it's a recommendation. So go and see it if you get a chance. It's now on Disney Plus on the Star um, mm. version. So yeah, that has then been the review, and it's now time to get your sequels pitched. Yeah. Okay. So boys and the audience, you have uh, the floor now. I go to one of you, and you have the floor to give me your pitch for Signs Two. Um, I won't give you a time limit. Obviously, don't go on for like 15 minutes, and I'll stop you if you do, but uh, we'll see. Uh, so let's go with the person that is on my notes first, and that is Andy. What is the name of your film, Andy? My film is called Invasion. Oh, okay. Well, then your time starts now. 20 years after the events that have been dubbed the Markins, Earth has increased its defence and research into extraterrestrial life with the majority of all countries' resources dedicated to this. Some say the Markins brought the world closer together, uniting us with one common goal, survival. Although some say the results of the Markings have caused more division and separation. While one person would be happy to share food with you, the other would shut the door in your face saying, yeah, fuck off, it's my family. 
Graham is in the kitchen cooking a Thanksgiving meal. One by one, we meet the original cast as they come back home for the holiday. Meryl's coaching a local kids' baseball team, and, M- and Morgan, now a scientist, and Bo, working for the government, follow. After dinner, the family are watching TV. After some adverts, the family play some board games and go to bed. The next day, Bo and Morgan are watching TV when a special announcement is heard. The announcement states that recently, similar UFOs from the Markins have been seen in the sky, and they believe the aliens are back. Bo says she must leave, and the rest of the family talk about the events of the first film and how Earth is better prepared this time. They start to discuss why they think the aliens came in the first place. In the government, we get caught up with the facts. Aliens are back, being seen in the sky for a few days, but the UFOs are different from last time. They lie to the public so there wouldn't be a big panic. The government say they need more information and consider a plan which would trap one of the UFOs and force it to the ground uh, so they could examine it. Bo suggests leaving them in the air. Wait for them to make the first move. Maybe we made the, uh, we made the first move. We made the first move last time and possibly broke an unspoken trust. If they did uh, come uh, here aggressively last time, maybe they're back to apologise. Graham is in town shopping. As he stops to talk uh, to people, including the cop from the first film, he notices some people are acting weird. The cop just says, ah, they must be nervous from the announcement. Back at the house, the family are watching TV. The adverts are interrupted by a live press conference and someone in a suit saying, we believe they are back. We believe they have adapted since the last time we faced and everyone stay indoors and stay safe. The footage goes back to the UFOs who suddenly fire and blow up the government building. Bo, who was on the edge of the blast, so she's fine, got a couple of cuts and bruises, escapes from the crumbling building and drives home. When she gets there, the family tried to leave, but when they turn around, they see three aliens standing in the living room, looking different from the first film. The aliens communicate with the family. Either they've adapted to speak human or they have a translator machine thing. Uh, And they explain that they came to Earth the first time in order to help us. They wanted to protect us from any threats that may be out there basically saying they wanted, us, uh, they wanted humans to be their pets. They only turned aggressive because we did. The dog bit its owner. We got lucky in the first encounter, but since then the aliens have adapted. They know a lot more about Earth and humans and have decided we are a danger to ourselves and we must be stopped. We are a sick dog that needs to be put down. Graham talks about his faith and how it was restored after the events of the markings, and he believes God will save him and everything happens for a reason. The aliens talk about faith with Graham and ask him to prove that they are not the creatures who have been sent down from above to protect him. Graham says, it's because you want to kill us, so you can't be angels. The aliens reply, a sick dog wouldn't understand why the owner wants to put it down, and it never knows the pain the owner feels when it's putting it down. Graham quickly throws a nearby glass of water at the aliens, but they're unaffected. They say 15 years ago, they sent down one UFO and abducted someone. They studied that person and managed to copy their DNA so they could clone humans into, uh, into a sort of suit that they can transform into. Over the years, the aliens have been sending more and more ships down and abducting more and more people and replacing them with their cloned versions in order for the cloned versions to study Earth and humans and feedback to the mothership. So next time they come, they know how to win. Graham says the aliens won't win and you can never break up my family. He holds his family and starts to pray. But suddenly, Bo breaks away. Graham tries to pull her back, but she says the aliens are right, Dad. They will win. And she knows this because... And we get a big M. Night Shyamalan twist as she transforms into one of the aliens. She says she's been the alien hiding on Earth for 15 years. The alien mocks Graham, saying Graham has been kissing the alien goodnight longer than he has his actual child. Graham tries to attack the alien, but the alien raises his hand and it stops him. And we see the alien has a fucked up face and he's missing two fingers. In another M. Night Shyamalan twist, it's the alien from the first one. Graham asks if Bo is alive, and the alien says yes, but she and now hundreds of thousands of, of other people are on ships and have been cloned and replaced. They were just waiting for the right time to strike so that they could abduct all the fucking humans. They were waiting for, boom, boom, a sign. Just then, 
Uh, the TV plays an advert, the same advert that's been playing throughout the whole movie, except this time it has a different ending. Suddenly, Meryl and Morgan transform into aliens, and we see shots of other people in the, in the town transforming in front of their families, including the cop that uh, Graham spoke to uh, earlier. Graham is surrounded, but he's not scared. Everything happens for a reason, he says. My faith will save me. The front door flies open to reveal a UFO in the sky. A beam is sent down, and the aliens invite Graham to step into it. He does. And we fade out into the third film that's called Settlement. Trilogy pitch again. Um, here we go. <laughs> right, Andy, thank you for that. I've got some questions. So you've decided to bring the cast uh, and some of the old characters back. Now, they had a pretty good arc uh, in the first movie. Can you tell me what the arc they will have in this movie? Um, it's 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 still going to The main focus is going to be on the, on like, say, for the faith. It's still going to be the, like, the tone for the first one. Um, Gra um, Graham is is gonna he's he's the main he's like the protagonist so he's gonna have the main arc and he's just gonna be just kind of like suspicious and scared the whole time until the end when he's not scared. Cool. It seems pretty short in terms of story. There seems to be only a few scenes and then a chat with some aliens. Do you think that's gonna be enough to entice the audience to go see it? Yeah, I mean the first one was a hundred well an hour and forty six. And this one, yeah. this one, I can imagine is is ninety minutes. The way I kind of blocked it out was in kind of thirty minute segments. Um, so okay. yeah, as like I say, I didn't, I, I didn't want to put anything in there that wasn't necessary. I wanted to keep okay. the tone and the theme that the first one had. Okay, uh, the first movie is a thriller. Um, you don't see much of the aliens, uh, which in my mind makes the movie better. Like we said earlier. Do you think you are steering away from the thriller vibe and revealing too much of the aliens at the end of the movie? Not necessarily. I think it's going down a different thriller side now. We're going less, say, scary yep. and now just more like psychological thriller. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, can you explain to me, in layman's terms, what the aliens plan is? is in the movie in this so movie. from the start of yeah from the start of the movie to the end yeah i want you to explain to me in simple terms what the aliens were doing it's to get mel gibson on the ufo okay cool thank you it's all gonna be a big spot i've kind of actually thought about the third one a little bit but, um... <laughs> well we can we can do that <laughs> and then shaking his head uh, <laughs> and drew's furiously writing notes down to wait till the uh, uh, bit where we can all argue um, okay thank you Andy that was good uh, you can leave the room now see you later thank you thank you very much <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> uh, and now we're gonna go with Matt Matt what is your sequel name my sequel's name is Signals a Signs sequel oh very nice your time Starts now. 20 years later, the movie opens with a documentary crew visiting the Hess family ranch. Graham is there, the others have all left. The documentary crew ask him a lot of pressing questions on why his farm and what did you think the meaning was, etc. Uh, Graham explains it was all for a reason, that everything happens for a reason and that we should all pay attention to the signs offered to us all. When asked about his family, Graham quickly closes up. He doesn't flinch when they mention Morgan and Bo. He just looks at them coldly. But when they bring up Meryl's name, he snaps and throws them out. Don't you dare! 
Don't you dare mention his name on my farm. The devil take you all. And with that, he slams the door behind him. And Mel takes a breather for the next hour or so of the movie. Snap cuts to a dimly lit room full of rubbish. Red string everywhere. There's a silhouetted figure darting in and out of shot, following trails and muttering to himself. Look for the signs. Look for the signs. Over and over. It's Merrill. And he's fixated on footage from 2002. And there's any number of battered computers and monitors all playing footage loops from YouTube uh, and other kind of digital media sources. He's watching them all and none of them at the same time. The static, the noise from so many sources of audio creates this uncomfortable hum. There's a bang on the door scaring the viewers and Merrill alike. Answering it, we see an adult Rory Culkin stood there in the doorway. Uh, Morgan. He, he's smart and looks to be embracing city life. We also get our first glimpse of Merrill in all his hermit-like scraggly mess. Rory makes a quip about Merrill looking good and offers him two brown bags. The first he opens to find a flash drive and Rory notes that there's some new reports coming from Europe. The second is a sandwich and a pack of cigarettes. The essentials, as always. See you tomorrow, Merrill. Merrill doesn't say anything and closes the door slowly, looking around the alleyway that his door, that his front door kind of opens onto uh, and making sure there's no one there. And when he's content, that's when he finally closes the door. He plugs the flash drive in and he stands watching. Well, he, he opens the files first. Uh, there's two files on the flash drive and he plays the video and starts watching in awe. Um, it's, it's German. It's a German recording and the folder is called Kybel Ein. 010122. The video is footage from New Year's Eve celebrations in Berlin, showing everyone cheering and celebrating. The host reports on the celebrations, and nothing seems amiss. There's a glitch for a fraction of a second on the final strike of midnight, and the video continues. Mother rewinds and replays the video over and over to try and get the pause on the glitched microsecond, and when he does, he freaks out, pausing perfectly to reveal a face, and not a human one. After composing himself, he, he listens to the unedited audio of the broadcast, and at the same time, in that exact same second, he hears Virzig, followed by a gasping sound, like sounding like someone's unable to breathe. So I realised I'd written quite a lot at this point. This is how the film plays out. Merrill learns that the word <laughs> he heard was 40, and after trawling through the internet, he manages to locate a lot more broadcasts of different New Year's Eve celebrations in different countries, each with similar creepy videos and audios. Each audio contains a number once it's translated from that region's dialect. Uh, the idea is that Merrill gets these audios in a sequence of events that are interlinked, meaning he has to get them in this order, uh, and that's kind of revealed at the end somehow. As he writes them down, the numbers are 40, 307, 720, 75, 116, 517, 7, 4.22 What does it all mean? He cannot get his head round it all. <laughs> he begins wrecking his work. Like he's had enough and he just crumbles to the floor and he sits and holds his head in his hands and then he looks over at his alarm clock. 7. 1. 22. It's a fucking date! So he has the last three numbers worked out. But what are the others? Uh, Q two days of intense research and growing panic. What's it counting down to? On his PC, he begins throwing the numbers around like a million and one different ways until he mistake makes a mistake. 
until he makes a mistake and puts in a full stop between the 40 and the 307. This links to a parcel force back office site that's somehow available, I don't know how, and he determines that they could be coordinates. They are coordinates for Doylestown, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Graham's Farm. He calls Morgan flustered and conveniently turns up with Bo. Don't know why she's there, but she's well-dressed and clearly she's also successful in a young adult life. Morgan's happy to see him, Bo less so. They drive to the farm and Mel's freaking out. The kids, whilst tense, like, about seeing their father again after so long, have kind of, they've grown out of the experience so much. Or, or, well, both think so anyway. She discovers that Morgan's actually been helping Meryl the whole time with the drives and the data, so she hits him and she's pissed off. Morgan confesses he was intrigued, but now he's concerned why their farm is involved again. They arrive late at night on 7-3-22, and the house is dark. They hear the clock chimes of midnight, and now suddenly worry and panic uh, kind of floods them, so they burst through the door. There's a shadow over a prone Graham, that retorts almost like it's alive and sees them and vanishes out into the darkness. Merle quickly runs over and performs CPR on Graham, who brings him back to life. And after some comforting, he explains that he's been, he's been feeling like something's been attached to him since the events of 2002, and that all of a sudden he feels that weight has been lifted. They go to sleep, wake up the next morning, turn on the TV, and they discover that there has been a strange spate of deaths around the world in the same locations that the original crop circles were discovered, and that they are believed to be linked. As the broadcast ends, the screen glitches with the same phrase from before. Sequel? That's up to you, Ross. I wish this was a visual podcast because I love seeing everyone's faces whilst I because I've read them so I kind of know what's happening but Drew and Andy haven't so it's funny just watching their facial expressions. Drew is just like, <laughs> like frowning like what? very good very good thank you Matt thank, thank you. you I love how you always have to make me work for the ending thank you for that look, I, look I've told time. you and I'll say it every time it's going on my t-shirt I just bring you the pitch I don't bring you the script yeah that's true uh, so the majority of this movie seems like it's set in Meryl's place do you think this is going to be enough um, I think Meryl's uh, HQ, let's call it, is kind of like the anchor for the film. Um, I think some of these yeah. foot, some of this footage can be quite drawn out. Um, there can be a lot that's kind of, yeah, cutting back to Morgan and Bo. I guess there's not real a in my pitch. There's no real journey for them. Perhaps we could kind of interlink. Uh, certainly, Morgan more about how he's getting this information. Um, I didn't really think about that too much. But yeah, I can see what you mean. That it is, it's got very much grounding. But in saying that, the first film was grounded pretty much in the uh, farm, or be it yeah. there was a lot yeah. more that happened in that farm, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Thank you. You don't use much of the aliens in your pitch. Why is that? For the same reason the first one didn't. And as we've talked about, I think it's scarier to not really see them. Good. Good, I'm just mm -hmm. checking, just checking. Um, can you explain to me the end? Um, yeah, the end was 
me being about as flustered as Morgan and Bo trying to think of an ending. <laughs> um, originally, the gasping was an explosion and I thought maybe the farm could blow up, but then I didn't really know why. Um, and I just feel like the whole idea of the aliens brought something with them that's lingering and that the first encounters and the crop circles were a sign of perhaps something else that was coming and almost like... I suppose in a similar way to Andy's, it marked some of them. Um, and I just feel like, okay. yeah, there's something more sinister behind it all. Okay. And lastly, you don't really explain what has happened between the family and Graham. Can you elaborate on that uh, at the moment? Uh, yeah. I The way I see it is that Merrill becomes really fixated on it all. Like He, he believes yeah. that there's signs there, but he thinks there's something way bigger. Um, he thinks that that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg and I guess that kind of comes back to being marked um, but he just yeah he he's kind of finds himself in a bit of a head fuck um, and ends up just going down this dark path that Morgan certainly buys into uh, as a young teenage lad who was very heavily affected by it I think Bowie really freaks her out and she kind of shuts him down um, and Graham and Meryl just can't see eye to eye Graham is very much like, look, it served its purpose. I found my faith again. That was the reason. That was the journey. Where Mel's like, no, it's not about you. It's way bigger than you. So I would say that that's okay. probably the confrontation. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Matt. Um, and now, last but not least, Drew, what is your sequel's name? I've gone with Miraculous. Cool. Your time starts now so i'm i'm taking a leaf out of matt's book in that this is this is a pitch it's not a script so it's going to be less specific in some places yeah um i'm seeing this as a hard science film i want you to think of interstellar or gravity and it charts the journey of a crew of astronauts 20 years after the failed invasion in the first film uh, the crew of this ship are the human on-site element who are sent out to repair a section of the Earth Advanced Warning Network, which is a series of satellites that have been positioned out past the orbit of the moon that should notify Earth of any incoming large bodies or ships that might have escaped the notice of equipment on Earth. Um, a section of the network has gone dark and automated efforts to repair it have all failed. So I want the the movie to all be from the perspective of the crew so it will start at the launch and the camera will always be with them there potentially might not even be exterior shots of the ship going through space it will all be with them the only characters on screen will be those people you'll hear other people on the radio so the first portion of the film covers the launch and the beginning of their onward journey i see the launch it's really intense sort of really hopefully all done in real time potentially over the first sort of 12 minutes and making that as in as authentic and realistic as possible i think would be a really intense way to bring it into the film the journey itself will take six days and the majority of that time will be for character interactions and world exposition during that time the lead character will be an american catholic who's an engineer um, working with a multicultural crew because in the years since the first invasion world governments have broadly started working together to build the advanced warning network but religious differences are still abound and actually the polarity between religious and non-religious people and between different religions 
has increased because of the uncertainty that learning about extraterrestrial life has introduced into people's lives. I'd want to write this like Alien in that most of the characters would have placeholder names so they could be played by people of any faith or gender or ethnicity. The primary point of conflict while they're travelling is the lead and another member of the crew discussing the nature of faith and how people can continue to believe in God when they know that there's other life out there. How can you know that you're right when other religions are wrong? I want this to be a meditation on religion and atheism and have that discussion going on while they're travelling. However, when they're about four days underway, they begin to lose communication with earth the crew have a big debate about whether they should continue with the mission or go back to re-establish comms and they elect to, to crack on as they have all the equipment and knowledge that they need to review the satellite and they they figure it's more important to try and get it working before they go back but when they arrive on site they find a disabled alien vessel it doesn't register on their equipment. It's barely visible by eye. They have to be really close, but it appears to be damaged. And the crew eventually decide that they should try and get on board as it would be the first real encounter with alien technology and they might be able to use it or bring it back to study and to improve Earth's defences. So, of course, going onto the ship is a horrible idea. The crew will get trapped and find themselves being hunted, but also hunting themselves, trying to escape the ship, and they're being hunted by the surviving aliens. Effectively, I'm seeing this as the film Alien, but from the viewpoint of the alien. It's them scuttling around, like picking off aliens when they can, but being hunted themselves. They try to get out several times, they, get, they keep getting cut off, they keep trying new ways to open or to try and learn the ship but it's obviously going to be incredibly hard they keep getting killed and taken until there's only a couple of them left and in the end they'll discover that what disabled the ship was that there had been conflict between members of the alien crew what they kind of infer is that discovering the satellite sparked some conflict and it seems like some of the surviving aliens wanted to end the mission and go back but some of the more aggressive sort of hunters who have been chasing them wanted to continue and it seems like the ones who didn't want to go and fight scuttled the ship the movie ends with a choice the human crew are able to they're, they're able to understand enough of the ship's technology to help the surviving sort of more peaceful aliens repair their ship fighting off the sort of final attempt from the remaining hunters to try and destroy them all the alien ship's oxygen recirculators damaged and so the crew from earth make the decision to give them as many of their emergency supplies as they can to help them get home they send them home with hope that they can bring word that humans are good that they can fight if they have to but that they have compassion the crew stay and repair the satellite that was damaged by the ship and realised that because of the crew members that they lost they might almost have enough oxygen to get home. They set off together for Earth as the comms come back on now that the alien ship has moved farther away and it's not disrupting their communications and they speak with the NASA communicator who introduces himself as Morgan Hess whose interest in science that he discovered in the first movie led him to pursue a career that took him to NASA and they begin to drift homewards not knowing if they'll make it but hopeful. Very nice. Um, my questions for you are, so you've adopted to go the more sci-fi route. Uh, what was the reason for that? I I, th I thought I wanted to get horror into it. Yeah. And uh, frankly, I really struggled to come up with a sequel to this because, again, I, I wanted it to be about faith because I felt so strongly that is the primary concern of the first film. Yeah. 
and it took me such a long time to work out what on earth to do with this that when I latched onto it okay so it's been 20 years there was a theory in the first movie that they spoke about that they would be coming back so maybe they're preparing for that and that just led me to something in space and people having to go to space and I I didn't put much more thought into it other than oh that might work let's do that please god before <laughs> I run out of time I have to send Ross my pitch <laughs> that's fair that's fair Okay. Um, only one of the actors from the original is in the movie. Do you think this will be enough to draw people that have watched the original movie to see this one? You make a good point. It doesn't have... Well, I I haven't cast it because I, I would hope that anyone could play the roles, but I would... I would be pushing for it to have as much star power as possible in the on-screen cast that yeah. the lack of Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix hopefully wouldn't negatively affect it too much, but that's yeah. a fair observation. <laughs> that's fine. Will you have the aliens shown, and if so, will they be able to speak to them? Like, the, the crew the like from Earth? No. The the aliens wouldn't be on screen much at the beginning, um, or not the beginning, when they first start to encounter them and start to realise the ship is still inhabited. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even when they are catching and killing the hunters that are coming after them, I wouldn't show them on screen too much, just kind of the aftermath of what happens. Um, but the end, you would see them... Like, given what's happened in the intervening 20 years, when you look at... Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, how effective you can make humanoid CG creations. Um, they won't speak, but I would want them to... When I say in when I said in the pitch that they infer what's happened, they kind of communicate like, by drawing and pointing and yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. Okay, and lastly, can you explain to me the section in which you say... Uh, they're going to be fighting the final attempt by the hunters. Do you mean the the aliens that wanted to um, to carry on with the plan? The they are going to be attacking the aliens that didn't want to, and also the humans as well. Yes, yes. So the humans end up working with the more peaceful ones who kind of okay. broke broke away from the original mission and tried to stop it, and they end up fighting with them at the end. Okay, um, but maybe not. Like I'm not picturing. I'm not picturing like a hand to hand fight. Like I'm picturing a, a clever solution that involves blow, probably blowing them out of an airlock. Because of course, <laughs> that's what it would be. Okay, well I have heard all your pitches, and now it's your time to debate with each other on whose do you think is going to be the winner for me. Why I should pick yours? You can do what you can argue with each other. You can say why I shouldn't pick uh, the other people's. The gloves are off. Here we go. I'll start with Matt. There we go. You there can you start. Go, you can start the argument. So, um, first of all, I feel like I'm the only one who's actually bothered referring to signs in the in the title of the movie, considering it's 20 years later. But that's fine. You know, you can just have miraculous that doesn't seem to have any miracles in it whatsoever, uh, apart from the fact that these aliens and humans can communicate in this short span of time. Or, or you can have Andy's invasion idea, which is uh, perhaps one of the most original concepts I've ever heard, not? 
Um, and the fact that it just turns out <laughs> they can just, they've learned human language and can now skin humans but not kill them and become them. Or you can play with something that's genuinely quite tense, uh, it still refers to the idea of signs and that there's there's a real uh, guiding, there's an overarching guide that, you know, as I say, these videos that he gets sent, the idea is that each one he gets hold of is interlinked, so it has to happen in that sequence of events, hence the signs, hence the signals. Uh, and I feel like mine, whilst it might be lacking a real solid final act, it's definitely the closest and most respectful <laughs> of the first film. Yeah, yeah, pick pick, pick mine. It doesn't have yeah, a third that's act, a great, that's but a great you should pick mine. <laughs> You've just decided Drew goes from their hunting to their best mates. No, no, they're hunting the aggressive hunters, not the peaceful ones. It's split into two factions. Also, you said mine, Miraculous has nothing to do with signs. Signs are signs in this context, are signs from God, which are miracles. Uh, uh, what, you what, big Wally. What's the miracle that happens in your film? The miracle, the miracle is, is that, that they can the talk aliens... to each other through pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you do you think that a humanoid person who has language of some description, you would be able to communicate some form of idea with them without sharing common language? Um, yeah, in the space of ninety because minutes. Because humans, movie, yeah, probably humans have been learning to communicate with other cultures who don't speak the same language of them for millennia. We're capable of it, and this species are capable of space travel. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you quiet? Why are you quiet, Andy? Oh, I'm just waiting for my Why turn. Are you quiet? Um, I'm just waiting for my no, turn. No, you can just <laughs> butt in if you want. Go, go for uh, it. Okay, let's start with Matt's. Uh, Mel Gibbs takes an hour for a breather. Honestly, man, you could have thought, like, why didn't the document, uh, documentary series stay there? If he's got something bad in him the whole time, why didn't he? Like, why do we see that or the whole way through the movie? Um, well, my we, movie's about we don't, we don't Phoenix's any... journey, but. Yeah, and we get we get crazy Wakim in the first film. We've done that, um, and he's just. I feel like scratching the, the, the surface. Just, crazy Wakim in mean? the first film. We don't really get crazy well, Wakim in the first. Uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's quirky. Fine. Yeah, that. Too many coincidences that he puts a decimal point in here, and he just realizes it's suddenly a date out of there. No, uh, and as he mentioned, no Act Three, uh, no twist as well, which is surprising. Uh, Drew's will be a great standalone film, but it's a. Um, or an alien interstellar <laughs> sequel. It's it, it just doesn't fit. Again, no twist, no car, so you haven't got the emotional connection. Uh, it's a completely the kind of different is that, tone. is that half of the aliens were good wow. and that the and that some of the aliens are on our side. Wow. Um, so mine, it's still got the right tone and the right <laughs> well, theme from the yes, first one. It's still got the same, the same characters, so you've got that emotional connection. It really plays the idea of faith, faith and what it is. Um, my title, I was thinking more along like Batman, uh, the, no the Nolan's Batman Begins, Dark, uh, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, doesn't have like Batman so much one, two and three. That's why it's the third one's called. Settlement. I'd love to know the point in your movie that references faith other than Graham blatantly saying it at the very end of the movie. I have faith. I must <laughs> go into the light. Right. Yeah. Cool. You reference faith. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why they're talking about it in during the movie as well. Okay. I mean, I yeah, I'll for for my money's worth. I I feel like both of these two other films are too short. Like, and Andy's felt like an episode of the X Files in terms of number of events. Wow, all right. I am well in terms of number of events, and Matt's 
does really seem like 90% of it is Joaquin Phoenix in a room acting mad, which I have no doubt would be compelling. But in terms of what the narrative covers during that time, it's pretty thin. And where mine is thematically still about faith, it builds off of the world logically it doesn't wait 20 years for the documentary crew to show up when they could have come at why wouldn't have they been the there two years. weeks later <laughs> any time in the last 20 years but they wait 20 years to do it and like with andy's sorry i made some notes let's have a look Andy, i like some of andy's lines like the the idea of he's been kissing the alien goodnight longer than he did while she was his actual daughter and the dog biting the owner but andy makes the point that says Oh, but we made the first move last time. No, def- we definitely didn't. Yeah, the aliens absolutely. started coming down and attacking people, and we beat them to death when they tried to take us. We didn't. We purposefully didn't yeah, shoot this, at uh, them. Yeah, but this is Bo saying this. Remember, Bo's already an alien. Okay. So, she but then, convinces but... the room. She's kind of a, like, I'm thinking, like, she's not like important. She's quite lowly in like the government, but she has that, like one of those speeches where she's like, no, we should listen to him. And everyone goes, oh, okay, let's give her a chance. Uh, yeah, famously, world governments are really good at listening to twenty-five-year-old women. I think that I think that mine is the scariest, potentially at least. I think that mine has the most explicit in the pitch discussion of faith and its role in society, where aliens have appeared, um, and so that's why you should pick mine. But would yours be a twelve? I, I feel like. I, I, it could basically, be. what I feel like you've got here is that you've either got Alien the movie, White Noise the movie, or just <laughs> any generic Alien movie, the sci-fi movie. You know, I don't know if you've got anything original from any yeah, of the three of us. I'm completely Alien. honest. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I think we've all struggled a bit here. Let's all bravado aside. You I think we've all done quite signs, well. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, I've made my decision, kind of. So, Drew, I like yours. Um, I think the the conversation you have about uh, religion and um, and the whole discovery of aliens and uh, alien world and that discussion you would have in the movie is quite an interesting discussion to have. Um, Andy, I like yours because you bring back the original people um, and you there it there's definitely a couple of twists in there that um there's a couple of twists that i didn't expect which is you know good and um matt i like yours because it centers around meryl um and i like the fact that um we focus on a little bit more of him and um i really i like that i like that um premise but there can be there can be only one I've made my decision. I'm going to go with this week's winner being Matt Rushton. Yes! Oh, oh, terrible decision. Drug choice, Ross. Such a bad Strong decision. choice. Purely because of the fact that you focus on... I agree with the guys in terms of your third app being pretty, pretty weak... But you still but I really you still think it's I absolutely yeah. agree. The entire movie is him in a room looking at YouTube videos. <laughs> 
what are, what are you You're doing, man? That's terrible. <laughs> like, what's going I, on? Because I used modern day media as a form of narrative. Yeah, no, that's fine. I get that. But an hour <laughs> of Joaquin Phoenix in a room <laughs> shouting at numbers on computer screens. <laughs> I like. Hell. I think. I think that that could work. You know, you there are the there, only one out there. <laughs> yeah, there are there are like films where there's there's just set in one room. Panic Room is set in one room. Yeah, um, well, it's not yeah. though. It's yeah, set in is. the whole house. No, and you, and you so my whole movie trying is to get actually also room. set in one room. There are other rooms and outdoors and cars. And <laughs> he stuff. does go to the you toilet. Like Paddy, it's yeah. set in a whole apartment. I, I feel like, considering Drew brought us, you know, he, I feel like you vibed off the Cloverfield idea here that you could branch out this world um, and essentially turn Cloverfield Lane is pretty much in one building. And ventures out just a little bit yeah, at the beginning and yeah. at the end. That's what but, I do. But the narrative of that film is about someone trying to escape whilst being yeah. psychologically bullied by John Goodman. It's not, yeah. I'm going to look at computers my until no, the numbers make is, sense. Meryl is trying to escape whilst he gets psychologically bullied by the aliens in all the videos that he's finding. <laughs> I think that your strong great point choice, was you've great choice. Yeah. yeah. You're very lucky in the sense that I like the the Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, it focuses yes, on even him. though we had it in the first. I time. was gonna pick Drews, but then I also was like, oh, but it is it's basically just alien. No, it's alien. It's alien with a little bit of alien. Mine still has the right tone and the right theme. Drews is suddenly a sci-fi, and mine's still like a nice thriller about faith. But then I also feel that yours, Andy, your your thriller. It dips when, as soon as you make the aliens talk, it just it will just become a bit too. I think that's where for me uh, fell down, and I couldn't like get over the fact that these aliens go, "Hello there, we are the uh, Mister and uh, Mrs. Alien." <laughs> also, yours is basically Invaders of the Body Snatchers. Um, I knew like it that. was a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Matt, you're you're the this week's winner. Thank you. So. You've had a chance to look at the list of movies, have you? I have indeed. And what film are we going to be doing next week? We're going to go with Aquaman. Uh, where is that available on? It is available to watch on Amazon Prime. Okay. Now, if you yeah. could follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, give us a review on iTunes or any of your social media things, spread the word, tell people about it, say, hey, have you heard about this podcast about four guys who have no clue about films and <laughs> they come up with mental pitches about Oompa Loompas and, and Joaquin Phoenix looking at the internet, then... <laughs> This is your this is your this is your podcast. So yeah, that would really help us out. Other than that, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Drew. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Andy. I can't believe you fucking chose Matt. <laughs> it's goodbye from Matt. Do you think we'll ever stop talking about the Pulumpa? <laughs> no, no. That's gonna that that be on a t-shirt. Yeah, um Pulumpa lover. <laughs> so we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.